This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we'll bring you through the next hour. Talk some Husker football, some recruiting, some basketball, and plenty of off-season discussion, guys, as um, I want to kick off the show uh, hitting on this. Um, and, and we're going to hear from Jay Foreman in our next segment as I'll, I'll have Jay on the show here. But um, earlier this week, Steve Sipple, the Lincoln Journal star, reported that both Jay Foreman and Jason Peter, former Huskers, will be around the program in a voluntary role. Um, obviously not a day-to-day coaching role, but just a presence within the locker room. And I don't think there's anything bad about that at all. I think it's a great thing. Obviously, though, with just where things are at here after three years, it's it's bringing up critics and you know synonymism and, and just things with fans like, oh, more 90s. Here we go. Here we go. But honestly, guys, I, I think it's a good thing. I mean, you're getting these guys that have lots of NFL experience in the program um, to – to just be there as another resource and it's not costing any money. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, they're, they're volunteers. So to cut, think they're going to come in and have this massive role. I mean, that that's not what this is. These guys are just there to help. And uh, like you said, obviously they have resumes that is going to catch players' attentions. I mean, not only did they, uh, you know, achieve the, the highest heights uh, in the collegiate level, but they went on and played in the pros. And uh, they know what it takes to get to, you know, the level that every player that's playing football right now wants wants to get to. And so just that experience makes them valuable assets, just a sounding board for guys to be able to go to and talk to and, you know, ask questions about the process and all that stuff. But uh, the other layer to it, too, is those are two guys that are – as passionate about the program and restoring it to what it was when they played here as you're going to find. I mean, they are publicly vocal and have been for a long time about uh, how frustrated they've been with the way things are going and, uh, you know, wanting to do anything they can to, to help change the, the, the culture here. And now they're kind of putting their, their work where their mouth is and uh, stepping in and, and just offering to help. They're giving up their time to come in and just be a resource, not only for the players, but for Frost and the staff, just to give, uh, you know, another voice and, and just more opinions and ideas and all that stuff that uh, the more of that you can get, the better, especially when they're, they're coming from people that uh, players are going to respect and listen to and the coaches are going to respect and listen to. Yeah, that passion that you mentioned, Robin, is exactly what I was going to say. I mean, these anyone who's ever listened to Jason Peter and, and Jay Foreman talk, uh, I mean, it's pretty evident how much they love the program. And, and honestly, you know, their, their passion for the program is contagious. I, I don't know how you can listen to them talk about the program and what it means for to them and what it's done for them. Um, and, and you not be fired up and, and want to kind of follow in their footsteps if you were a player. I, I just I think their presence around the facility, um, you know, is not going to be, you know, measured in, in wins or losses or anything like that. But I think it, I think it's definitely going to have an impact as far as being a being a presence and, and you know, that, that passion for the program, the, you know, that they can speak to. And uh, I mean, I just think it's contagious. You're listening here to the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan. Robin Washett and guys, uh, COVID's put a strain on everything we do with sports and crowds and et cetera. Uh, but it, it does seem like things are turning a corner. Um, the NCAA this week um, announced that they will allow up to 25% attendance at the basketball and volleyball and I believe the FCS football championship game in the playoffs. Basically, any NCAA sport and championship event that takes place this spring. Now, they don't give an update on the College World Series and what that attendance will be in Omaha, but roughly 4,500 fans will be able to attend uh, the NCAA tournament for volleyball now in Omaha, and all of the matches are going to be in Omaha. It's going to be similar to Indianapolis, so that that's a big win for the local volleyball community. Um, but <laughs> leads me to my next question. When, when are we going to see fans at anything Big Ten? I mean, let alone like <laughs> baseball. I mean, I know like soccer parents weren't allowed to go watch the indoor match in Minneapolis this weekend. I mean, it's getting to the point like, all right, we understand the situation. I think people understand what's going on, but you know, the fact that like parents can't even go to some of these games right now because they're indoor venues and things like that. It's just interesting. The big 10 continues to be on this no attendance thing as other things 
in Indianapolis, for example, in the same city. <laughs> That's the biggest joke. You know, like the, in the Big Ten tournament, Robin, is going to be in Indianapolis in a week or two. In the exact same venues as the NCAA tournament. And they will have no fans, but then the NCAA will allow fans. Now, I know that that's still been discussed about whether the Big Ten might change its policy, but at this point, I wouldn't expect them to. I mean, they seem to be uh, fully entrenched in this stance that we will not have any fans ever watch any of our sports uh, until every other school and conference in the country has crossed that bar. You know, the Big Ten is going to, <laughs> they're bunkered down right now, and they're going to wait this thing out longer than anybody else. And for whatever reason, that's been their stance from the get-go. And to think that they're suddenly going to change uh, and loosen up those restrictions at this point, I wouldn't hold my breath on that whatsoever. And again, it makes zero sense because literally you are playing your conference tournament in the exact same setup as every other team that's making the NCAA tournament is going to be playing a week later. And to think that somehow you're doing it safer than, you know, the NCAA, I don't know. I mean, it's just, there's been no consistency uh, at all with any policy the Big Ten has had in this entire situation since the very get-go. And that, I assume, will continue uh, until every other conference has, like I said, set the tone and the Big Ten will be the, the, the caboose to follow up that. I just don't understand what the end game is. You know, what what's the angle that these presidents or the Big Ten's working? Because, I mean, none of it none of it adds up to me. I, I just, you know, a lot of times um, you're, you're trying to protect yourself from something. I, I mean, do they really think that this group of athletes, that a basketball team is going to uh, go to the Big Ten tournament and come back and, like, spread the coronavirus amongst the, the regular student population or, or what? I just – uh, it doesn't make any sense to me why their stance has has been so so strict of, upon you know no attendance and uh, just I don't know. There's I, there's two things that jump out to me that could possibly be why the state politics in places like New Jersey and Minnesota and Wisconsin, where they've been very strict on just people at events. Period. They want it to be a level playing field in the league. That that that's my. No but I, I get that. How does that impact the conference tournament when everyone is in the exact same place? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't understand that rationale. Like, I get you have your policy for the regular season. You can just see that out. I mean, you're talking about a couple more weeks, but you have the opportunity to essentially be like the the testing group for the NCAA tournament to see what it's like having fans at all these venues and how you can operate it, get all the logistics ironed out. It seemed like the NCAA would be pushing the Big Ten to kind of take the lead on this where it seems like they're dragging and their feet in every direction. I, I, I think like with like Nebraska volleyball, for example, if they would allow fans it'd be a significant advantage because yeah, right sure. now Pinnacle <laughs> Bank Arena would be deemed for 75% capacity. Mm -hmm. And imagine Minnesota playing here with 10,000 fans at Pinnacle Bank Arena because I would assume they would play these games and well, maybe not. They'd probably still play at Devaney, but even then Devaney would have Five or 6,000 fans. That's a big deal. And Minnesota and their state would probably allow no fans. Mm -hmm. I mean, club volleyball tournaments for Minneapolis and Denver are moving to Omaha because they don't allow um, these things to happen in those states. So I think some of the local politics still are driving this. But, yeah, the Big Ten not allowing fans, especially because the money made off the tournament um, you know, could go to all the teams equally. And I think that's another thing. Like, they want this to be equal and if it, you know, if, if they let every state decide right now, Nebraska would probably make the most money off tickets because they would allow as many fans as anybody in the spring sports season, which volleyball and baseball would draw decent. Now, I mean, we're not talking a lot about a lot of money here either. We're talking, but really, you're in a point where like every cent counts right now. Like, <laughs> athletic departments are just yeah. like being crippled by this, and to sit there and like go out of your way to prevent a revenue stream. Uh, I mean, I get the the idea of making it a, a fair playing field. But, One size fits all. Uh, you know, it's it shouldn't be that way. I mean, that's not the way the, the the country is right now in the sense that, you know, there are different states dealing with different issues and just put a blanket policy that hinders everyone because one or two schools in your conference uh, are dealing with local legislation that won't let them have fans. I mean, that's I think that's more unfair than it would be to flip it uh, because not only are you denying uh, fan bases a chance to see their teams play and give competitive advantage to your to your programs uh, with with home field advantage you're also stealing money from those in institutions that right now i mean people are losing jobs i mean they had like layoffs and furloughs and all that stuff uh and people nebraska's thinking about dipping into their reserve funds and like 
to deny the opportunity to you know create the the whole game day atmosphere with fans, but also not be able to make money, I think is is so counterintuitive. It just makes zero sense at all. Well, I don't understand why you're not hearing about schools kind of putting their foot down. You know, why is it that everyone's just falling in line and accepting accepting this? Because it's the presidents. Well, I, I know I understand that, but but still, you would think that at least a few presidents out of out of all of them would would see that this is completely ridiculous. And I, I don't even know if it's all Kevin Warren. I think the presidents are as big in the, in this whole thing as Kevin Warren is. Well, yeah, no, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. And I think that I think the presidents from day one have been able to to kind of get together and push Kevin Warren around. I, I mean, still, I mean, going back to the football fiasco, I think that I think that uh, you know they they kind of took advantage of Kevin Warren being new because under Jim Delaney. I mean, the expectations were were pretty clear. I, I think that you know, with what he wanted and what he expected, and you know, with Kevin Warren in charge, I, I just don't know. I think it's kind of given everyone maybe a, a little bit bigger voice than what they would have normally have had. And let, let's call it what it is. I mean, the president wanted to make sure they got their students on campus for fall classes. They wanted to make sure those kids moved in the dorms. Because that's how they make their yeah, that's, money. That's how they make money. And they made sure that they got their money. And then they said, okay, athletics, you've made so much money over the years. You guys can figure it out now from here. Um, but, I mean, th- this to me always was about making sure you had your students on campus in dorms. You got the meal checks and, and, and figured out a way to get through the semester. Because w- without, you know, athletics can figure out a way to get through this. But if, if you lost like a semester of that at college, I mean, you'd have – College is closing down. So uh, with that said, guys, when we come back, Jay Foreman is going to join me here on the show. I caught up with Jay to hear more about what he'll be doing here with the program. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, I told you out of the gates that we are going to hit on Jason Peter and Jay Foreman, two former Huskers that played at Scott Frost, coming back and working in the program and pleased to be joined right now by Jay Foreman, former NFL nine-year veteran linebacker uh, who is retired as a football player in Lincoln, um, does a lot of coaching of youth basketball, but now he's going to be a volunteer behind the scenes. Jay, first of all, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you on with us here. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's, uh, you know, it's always good to come on, so you know, I'm very appreciative. Well, yeah, no, Jay. Let's get into it. What, what, um, I guess, how, how did this all come about? I mean, did did you approach Scott and say, "Look, um, I'd be glad to come around and and share some wisdom and, and just be a day to day presence at times in the program, uh, whatever you need." I mean, just give us an idea of how this thing started up. Well, I think ever since Scott's, you know, you know, been, you know, named the head coach, you know, he's made it clear that uh, you know he wants guys around and you know he wants you know try to help out as much as possible. Um, but I think a lot of guys, you know, that, you know, want to be around and help, you know, want to see the program and Scott be successful. So, but then also we know, look, they got an extremely hard job, you know, you know, trying to, you know, get Nebraska turned around and, uh, you know, coach. So we're not trying to go in there and, you know, change X's and O's. So I've gone all the way kind of, so I said, well, you know, when Scott got back, you know, I'm really uh, good friends with Ryan Held. I know Greg Austin. Um, you know, pretty well, and uh, obviously no bad roots. So I would say, hey, look, dude, you know, I'm always here to help if you need. Um, I won't be one of those guys that are down to practice every week, um, you know, up until now, obviously. And then, um, you know, I think over time, you know, when you run into them and, you know, they want to make sure that, that you know, the right guys are in there that are trying to do it for the right things for the program. And, you know, it's kind of mutual interest, and, uh, you know, you asked, and, um, you know, we had a couple phone calls, and I said, look, man, look, I'll small, you know, medium or large, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, I'm always going to put, you know, the team and the program first. Now, definitely not about me or, you know, you know what we accomplished back when we played. You know, it's about trying to get these kids to uh, or help them, not get them. Um, that is uh, help them reach their potential, maximize their opportunity, and, you know, get, get used to what it takes to win. Um, you know, a lot of it, I think, is mental, and, you know, that's where, you know, I think that, you know, you can push these guys, to, you know, to the maximum. And, they're, you know, the down, I'll tell you this, they're, they're all, from what I've seen on the surface, if they're, you know, willing to listen. And, and also, it's not just about us telling them, it's also listening to what, you know, um, they've even been through as well, to 
I'm like, this is when I messed up. This is when I see guys mess up. This is what was successful and this is what didn't work. Uh, but this is what I do know works when to win. Um, and and uh, trying to get everybody just to be their best that they could be. And once you do that, then that thing starts to roll pretty quick. So, um, I mean, it's a no defined role. You know, it's not a full-time role. I would just, you know, we're not on uh, the coaching staff, but we're there to, uh, you know, assist in any way we can, and that's the best thing that we can do. We're joined here by former Husker and NFL veteran linebacker Jay Foreman, who is going to be working with Jason Peter in a voluntarily uh, role uh, with the program, yeah, I, I guess. How does it work when you're in a volunteer role with the schedule? I mean, do you have a a goal like, look, I can come over twice a week for a couple hours each time? What about game days? I mean, do you envision yourself being on the sidelines yeah. of being a part of anything on game day? I mean, what is the? I mean, what's the definition of kind of what you can do and what you want to do? No, I mean, I think that I mean we're trying to still work through that. And I think that we haven't even got there, you know, to that point. I mean, we're a long way. Away from games on Saturdays, I mean, let alone just in general, but then also with COVID. So, um, you know, the biggest thing is just one day at a time, you know, a couple times a week, two hours, um, you know, just being there and, and helping the kids, you know, and, uh, be, you know, getting there and rolling in sleep level with them too. You know, they just not show up for five minutes, tell them how great we were, and then be gone, just be there and, and uh, you know, get to know them, you know, let them know that you really care about them. Um, because then, you know, if they, care, they know you care, they'll care more. And then, you know, both things that you're both pulling in the same direction. So, uh, as far as like a defined, you know, you know, script or, you know, stuff like that, it's, it's, it's you know, it's part time. And it's, uh, you know, as the union right now, they're, you know, they're working hard, hitting the weights and about to start running. So, you know, we're just helping out a couple times a week for a few hours. What are just your general impressions? I mean, you've watched Nebraska play on Saturdays, you know what they look like on Saturdays, but, now that you've been behind the scenes and you've been around some of these guys and, and the attitudes and the training, I mean, what are your early takeaways of just your feel for this team right now? Yeah, I mean, in a way, we might have That's not even a question. Um, uh, they're all, you know, seem like they're you know, definitely motivated. Um, and, and, you know, they're not in there slacking off. So, you know, generally when you have a team that's, you know, had you know three seasons that worked out the way they wanted. You know, you think like you see some guys, uh, you know, not working hard or taking. You know, everybody goes in there. Uh, not only does what they're supposed to do, and does you know does a little bit more, which is great. And uh, everybody's there on time. Attentive. That's a big deal. But detail, I think it's gotten better over the last like say like year or so. And I and I get the feeling that they they have, if you have a percentage wise where you know Scott talked about it, we had some guys that really weren't still on the team and not truly invested and then you know every year I think the percentage of the guys that are truly invested went up and I think it's a very high percentage this year and you can tell with the way their attitude um, and their work ethic in the weight room and, and going out there and getting ready to run so um, I've been impressed and uh, pleasantly surprised so I don't think it's ever going to be anything that they didn't uh, work for it or they don't work hard. I was curious now when when you look at college football, Jay, uh, the transfer portal has just taken over every conversation from an outsider looking in. What is your view of the transfer portal and just the early damage it's already caused? And I mean, do you see it continuing to get worse over time in college football? Yeah, I think, it, you know, the, at first, you know, it was a good it's a, it's a good thing. And, it, and I do think it's. It, if, if there is a purpose for it. I think right now it's been a free-for-all. And what it's created is, 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 it, is that these kids coming out of high school, they enjoy being recruited more than playing football. So they can go to a college, play a couple of years, and most, and then, you know, I didn't get my, you know, what I wanted, supposedly, and then they can go get re-recruited. Well, it doesn't really work that way. And the numbers show it. Going from power five to power five is a very small percentage, and then going from power five to power five and really being successful is even probably smaller, especially if you're not in a quarterback position or somebody that's had some like issues like off the field and it was or coaching leave or something like that. And those are very like small percentages. So what it's created is, is an easy out for kids to go places and try to dictate their you know their short term. Um, you know, goals or outcome, which is, you know, go right from high school and play a lot and start and, and did not work for it. But when they transfer and they go to the transfer board, it generally doesn't work out uh, as much as they think. Because there's only so many scholarships out there. 
so by the time kids get into the transfer portal, you know, coaches and, and coaching staffs aren't going to keep five scholarships per year and open for guys that are going to transfer in because, you know, I'd say maybe nine times out of ten, maybe eight. You know, the reason why it didn't work out someplace is because, you know, a lot of it has to do with they weren't either good enough or just didn't work for it or were patient enough and willing to put in the time to be successful. So if you try to go to another school with other big, you know, time athletes and the best of the best, you're just not going to slide in there and, and just start right out the, right the get-go because, you know, they've invested in some of those kids that have been there and made those choices from the very beginning. So it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very slippery slope, and um, it'd be interesting to see if the NCAA steps in and and tries to, you know, curtail the rules a little bit and maybe put a time frame on it or something like that. Or it'll be interesting to see how it goes and say if we have the conversation in two years, see if it's changed a little bit. Now I got to ask you this: Has Coach Duvall put you on a squat rack yet? Have you put put about uh, 500 pounds on the bar and tried to do uh, some old-fashioned squats with these guys in there? <laughs> no. No, not at all. They, these guys are moving some serious weight, and they're they're strong. Um, and they're, you know, some big some big boys uh, doing some impressive things. And uh, my days of squatting and and, and lifting and some extra power is long gone. But it would be funny though. It would be funny to see what uh, if I can compare my numbers from when I was in college to uh, <laughs> where I'm at right now. It would be what it'd be a it'd be a nice little dose of reality, but it would be kind of funny. I'm guessing if you hurt yourself, though, I bet your wife wouldn't be very impressed. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't work out too well. But uh, I've done other things like trying to, you know, get up and down the court in basketball and play a little bit of football. That is, you know, ended up pretty bad. So I guess going there trying to relive my old Husker power days might might be right in line with that as well. Well, Jay, hey, thanks for taking some time here with us. Uh, looking forward to hearing more about your role around the program and uh, seeing you around the stadium here in the coming weeks and months. All right, man, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, much more to come. We're going to talk Nebraska basketball next here with Robin Washett. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as we're talking basketball. Nebraska lost 86-83 Tuesday night to Penn State. And um, it's the only win Nebraska's had all year earlier was on the road at Penn State, Robin. But um, – almost a record night for Teddy Allen. I mean, if, if you're just trying to find glimmers of positivity from this very difficult month of February for Nebraska basketball, 41 points for Teddy Allen, uh, that Piekowski record from my eighth grade year. I still remember rushing home from St. Peter and Paul grade school to watch that game when Piekowski threw up those 42. It was the afternoon game in Kemper Arena. And that record still stands, but Teddy Allen very close to getting that record, uh, forty-one points. Yeah, I mean he had it multiple opportunities if he really wanted to, to break that record, where you know he had a chance to you know throw up a layup, but instead dished it out uh, for you know a nice basket to one of his teammates, and that's the reason why he finished with a career high six assists. And so you combine forty-one points, which uh, I guess <laughs> there's plenty of records with that, even though he didn't catch Pike, it's. Uh, the most ever in a in a home game in a regular season game t- or ties Alex March for regular season game, uh, and he made the most field goals uh, in in Pinnacle Bank Arena history. Uh, and you know you just go down the list, but when you pair it with the the other production he had, he led the team in rebounds, he led the team in assists. You could make the case that that was one of the best all around like individual performances Nebraska basketball's had when you take into account the volume of scoring and then all the other production. In fact, to put his numbers into perspective, uh, this was a great stat uh, that Seamus McKnight, the SID, uh, put out last night um, on Tuesday night was there's only been four players since 2010-11 that have had that many points, that many assists, and that many rebounds in a game. And the other three, along with Teddy Allen, are Ben Simmons, Trey Young, and uh oh gosh i think i'm missing the other one anyway uh it's another big time name and so uh that his rare company for for him to be in that club and so i mean for that type of performance to end in a loss was so frustrating i mean if they would have won that game that would have gone down in the record books as maybe the best performance and i still think it is but that loss definitely tarnished now you took 24 shots robin when's the last 16 when's the last time a player for nebraska's had 24 more field goal attempts does that mean does that happen yeah i mean he tied the the record for um 
most overall made field goals and the I can't remember the other guy who did it but it was he also was 16 to 20 because Piekowski when you go guy. back I mean he, he was like automatic from the free throw line so Piekowski could draw fouls and, and he was going to make all of his free throws and um, but that it just tells you how hard it is to get 42 that this record has stood for well over 20 25 years now and and Teddy Allen did about everything possible to get that record. And like I said, I mean, he passed up shots too. Like he he had every opportunity to break that record, probably break it by a, a few points. But instead, I mean, he he was playing actually team basketball. I know people are accusing him of being selfish, but when you're shooting 66% from the floor and you're hitting at that type of clip where you're making 15 of your first 19 points, uh, I mean, you got to feed that guy. I mean, that's what Teddy Allen was brought here to do was to be a volume scorer who could literally take the game over by himself. And uh, this was the best example yet. There's been plenty of examples of the other side to it where, uh, you know, you can get the bad Teddy and he'll go one to 10 from the field and uh, look completely out of sync with the rest of the offense and get benched for a game. Uh, but this is the good side. I mean, this is the, this is the reason why you take that risk with a guy like Teddy, because when he is dialed in like that, he can be one of the most electric scorers in the Big Ten Conference. And he, only other player that scored as many points as um, Teddy Allen did last night was Luca Garza, and he did that against Southern. Teddy did in a Big Ten game. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. We talk Nebraska basketball with Robin Washett. Um, Robin, my next question is McGowns and Batten or Banton. I mean, it feels like their production, their productivity has just kind of slowly tailed off. I mean, what do you attribute that to why they haven't been as consistent at times? Uh, because I feel like that's the missing piece for Nebraska to take that next step and, and win some of these games. That's the story of the season. They've yet to have all of their guys clicking at once. And it seems like they just cycle in where. Uh, you know, Teddy's going through a slump and, you know, Trey McGowan's is playing really well. And now Teddy's playing well and Trey's going through a slump and Delano Banton's playing. I mean, he's had some of the biggest struggles of his season so far. In fact, back-to-back games, uh, he's set season lows for minutes. He played 19 against uh, Purdue. That was his first time this season playing under 20 minutes. Then he only played 13 uh, in, in in the last time out uh, against Penn State. And so, I mean, clearly he's regressing right now and going through uh, a really noticeable funk to where uh, it's hard for Nebraska to play him. I mean, he, he played 13 minutes, took two shots, missed them both, had two turnovers and, and a rebound. And, you know, that's one of your most productive players across the board. He's second on the team in scoring, leads the team in rebounding, leads the team in blocks, uh, and really has done everything for them up to this point and suddenly uh, he's just all out of sorts and now you know you pair that with you know Thor playing his best basketball this season and so those minutes are kind of getting eaten up to where Delano's not really been in the equation he started every game and he started the first and second half against Penn State but uh, you know to play that few of minutes for a guy that should be taking on a key key role as really the only quote-unquote point guard on the team uh, that says a lot about just the level of trust right now Nebraska has in Delano to do what he's supposed to do. I mean, in the end, Robin, do you think nine games over 18 days, I mean, that was the stretch after Penn State. I mean, is this good for the program? I mean, what good do you think is going to come out of just having this type of stretch they've had to go through? Well, I mean, any minute you're playing together is good because, uh, you know, the big issue the last two years was you have a roster that has no Big Ten experience. Well, they're <laughs> getting that and then some. This year and just playing basketball together as a team, going through adversity together. And the most important part about this is how they've continued to fight through it. Uh, there's been multiple opportunities for this team to quit and just cash their chips and say, you know what, this sucks, we're done. Uh, let's move on to the off season. And they haven't. I mean, you, for them to play the way that they have you know, with this type of record being one in 13 and uh, just really drudging through uh, unprecedented, uh, difficult schedule and circumstances, I think it says a lot about the character of, of this team and, and the job that you know, Fred Hoiberg and his staff have done of keeping this thing together. Now, that has to continue. Obviously, you're not done yet, and it's not going to get any easier. And if they're, you know, let the the weight of this losing streak or you know the the, the record wear them down, you're still going to run into the same issue of potentially losing the locker room this late in the season. So they just got to keep their heads above water, find 
things like Teddy Allen going off and uh, the emergence of Thor and, uh, you know, the development of Eduardo Andre and, and those types of silver linings as things you can hang your hat on and say, look, this is th- these are things that we can build around going forward. This season is what it is. It's been a disaster. Uh, it's not gone the way anybody wanted it to, but we can still find positives. And, you know, going into next year, they will not have any issue with being battle tested. I mean, these guys have gone through as much as any collective group has gone through in a season. And if they're able to come out of it together and still, you know, competing, I think that's a win in itself that helps you set the tone and helps you build the culture for the future. Nebraska home on Saturday versus Minnesota, six o'clock game. And then Monday home versus Rutgers, which will be their final home game of the season before going out to Iowa and then Northwestern. I'd imagine they they might just stay on the road, Robin, when they're out at Iowa and just go right to Northwestern. Um, it's almost on the way. But um, yeah. look, looking at just the senior day, Robin, I mean, how does it work with basketball? I mean, is it the same? Are guys getting a free year this year in basketball too? Or this year I'd assume counts, right? Yeah, well, I mean, because they got to play a full season. So um, there's there's not that yet for basketball. But I think that there's certainly the possibility of a waiver, uh, you know, especially if teams – uh, that missed a substantial part of their season due to you know sitting out with COVID and all that stuff. Uh, so I don't think it's like a free carte blanche deal where everybody gets a free year. But the idea is that if you want to, you can pretty easily probably get a waiver to get another year. But I just don't know with Nebraska's two seniors, Kobe Webster and Thor, that Trevor Lakes. Lakes, he's he was already going to have a year. He got a waiver for so this he'll year. have one more year. Yeah, yeah. So he, he was going to redshirt this year anyway, but basically with the circumstance, they said, you know what, <laughs> he basically get a free pass. They said, why not? So Kobe Wetz, I mean, he'll be done. I would assume so. Like Thor for sure. I think he is, played well against Penn State at times. Hit yeah, a couple no, shots. Thor, Thor's been playing, like I said, his best basketball yet, and uh, he was a non-factor for a while there. Where I don't even know what he was bringing to the table. But he's turned it around big time to where he's knocking down shots, he's making smart basketball plays, and he's playing a ton of minutes. And like I said, taking advantage of, you know, paired with Delano Banton's struggles, uh, he's had a, a pretty significant role. So that's been good to see. Uh, but with those two guys, I, you know, I don't see the likelihood of them coming back. And, um, you know, with Nebraska's already oversigned by one, they would have to do a lot of roster shuffling to bring them back anyway. All right. Well, it's going to be another busy stretch here as Nebraska tries to Finish up here this 2021 season. When we come back, we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. Time for the mailbag with a segment of the Husker Online Show. Brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. If you're looking for a place to watch Nebraska basketball or anything going on this weekend, get on into Tanner's. It's um, your premier sports bar location in Lincoln, all brand new TVs, brand new furniture. Um, You won't find a better place to watch a game right now in the city of Lincoln, and you won't get better wings than at Tanner's. So get on in there, 30th in Yankee Hill, guys. Um, Let's get right down to the mailbag. And, you know, interesting question, Nate, that was uh, posed to both of us after having the in-state tour for us to rank – our players six to 10. And I think you and I both are in similar agreement, probably on six and seven right now. Um, Jake Applegate at Lincoln Southeast, I think was both of our number sixes. Yep. And then Koa McIntyre, maybe uh, from Fremont Bergen might be the number seven, but eight, nine, 10, you know, I think we had a combination of Keyshawn Williams from Omaha North in yep. there. I had Trevor Brown from Waverly. He just won the heavyweight wrestling championship this weekend, measured six, two um, at the in-state tour. And then the other name I had in there was Henry Rickles from Bellevue West. Yeah, I had Rickles. Uh, I did not have Trevor Brown, although he was in. He was under consideration. Uh, I think I went L.J. Richardson, the running back from Bellevue West, ran for over fourteen hundred yards as a junior, twenty uh, some odd touchdowns. I think it was. Uh, I think he's. I mean, he's one of the top running backs in the state, if not the top running back in the state. Um, and then. Let's see, Richardson, Rickles, um, McIntyre, and Williams. I'm trying to remember who who my next my next guy was, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of the group there after after the top five. The top five is pretty easy. Um, you know, you got the and I think number six is pretty easy. Yeah, and, and six is really easy too. And and you know, and with Jake Applegate, I think you can make a 
you can make a case for him being a, a top five player in the state. It's just for whatever reason he's lacking some of those those you know power five offers right now, or even you know even some the group of five offers. I, why why he doesn't have. Ten group of five offers right now is kind of beyond me. I'm I, telling you, I went to three of his games yep. this year, Nate, and I, I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah. Like, I, I'm like, wow, like he, he was better than Tuioti on the field in the games I was at, and Tuioti's got major offers yeah, right got, now. He's got major offers. Gatula's got major offers now there, yeah. and and you know he was to me their best prospect on the team. So I, I mean, I would say I'm about 75, 80 percent certain Nebraska will eventually offer him. That's that's my feel today. I would be shocked if they didn't. I mean, he's six five, he's six four, two ten, thirty eight inch vertical, thirty eight inch vertical. He's a he's a legit four seven, four six electronic forty guy. Is what he is what he ran at the the Warren Showcase um, over the summer. I mean, he's he's, he's got, a bigger Seth Malcolm to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, plus. He gets it done in the classroom. I mean, he's he's the total package. I, I don't know what – I mean, he's definitely one of those kids that has been really, really hurt by coaches not being able to go into the schools and, and everything. Um, but, His brother was a walk-on receiver from Pius, right? Yep. So, okay, that's what I thought. Um, and then he's got a younger brother coming up too who's good, a good-looking prospect. And then Cole McIntyre, I think once his track times get out, that yeah. that's going to be his ticket. But, all right, next question here in the mailbag for all of us here. Who leads Nebraska in rushing and receiving? I think, for me, receiving is very easy right now. Um, Samori Torrey, I, I would be surprised if it's not him right now unless Omar Manning just kind of breaks through or Xavier Betts. And then, you know, running back, I mean, it, it probably should be Marquis Step, but until we see Marquis Step, it's, you know, hard to feel – very real confident in that until we know how he practices. But I think today that would be my choice. Yeah, I think well, we had the same answer. And a lot of that is because those guys were brought here uh, for a very specific reason to be immediate impact starters <laughs> from day one. If all goes as planned, uh, you know, Marquis Step is going to be the feature number one running back. And if the offensive line is better and Step is what, uh, you know, he's been built up to be, uh, he's got every opportunity to potentially have a thousand yard season. So, uh, I mean, I think that's very realistic. And then with, with um, you know, Toure and how unique his frame and skill set is compared to the rest of that receiving core, he gives Nebraska something that they haven't had in a long time in the passing game. And so you would think that uh, he's going to have every opportunity to put up a lot of numbers, especially uh, with kind of the uncertainty at the rest of that position. You know, with both those groups, there's a lot of young talent, but at least those two guys have, have proven it at the collegiate level. Yeah, the way I look at it is, I mean, like you said, Robin, both those guys were brought in for a reason. If they are not the leading, you know, rusher or the leading receiver, um, you know, in their position groups, a it was probably it, it was either a massive waste of a scholarship, or b there was there's been somebody in one of those two groups that really took you know took a huge step forward and grabbed that job and was a breakout player. Which, in case if that happens, then then Nebraska, I mean, that's that would obviously be great news for the Huskers. All right, Luke McCaffrey to Louisville. Are you guys buying or selling? I'm probably selling right now. I, I just have my doubts um, that he could walk in there, at least for this season, not being there in the spring, and be a really productive starting quarterback in a new situation. Well, keep in mind, Louisville is returning their starting quarterback from last year, Malik Cunningham, who – threw for 2,600 yards and 20 touchdowns last year. And so, I mean, <laughs> there's an established figure there that if Lou, if that's what Louisville did, they sold Luke that you're going to come in and be a quarterback, then, you know, maybe there's more to the story going on there. But right now, that looks like an awfully tough hill to, to climb in a short amount of time for Luke. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling too. Something just doesn't add up here to me. I mean – they they're returning. It's not like there's an open, wide open door for for a transfer to come in and and take the job. Um, you know, I just something just doesn't add up here. They're returning a guy that that is established, that is has played very very well. Uh, but oh, by the way, when you look at their skill positions, they they lost all their top wide receivers. Um, you know, they they're not mm -hmm. returning those guys. So, but and so if he's open to playing another position, why wouldn't he have done it here or why wouldn't he have done that for his dad at Northern Colorado mm -hmm. and played with his, you know, played been a wide receiver for his brother? Um, you know, I I don't know. Something just doesn't doesn't quite add up here. Outside of Thomas Fedoni, give me one freshman that you guys think will make an impact and I said this before we got into the question. I go 
you hope Nebraska is not at a point every year where they're having to rely on freshman A, B, C, D to be like main frontline guys. As Scott Frost has said, you got to get old, you got to stay old. With that said, I think Marquise Buford, um, he's a pre- he's really not a freshman. He's a prep school freshman, so he's a little bit older. He's coming into a position that's up for grabs. He's a name for me that I'm really intrigued to watch. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Step is your your projected clear cut starter, but I think Gabe Irvin has going to have every opportunity, just given the the lack of proven uh, commodities uh, from basically the entire uh, back end of that running back rotation. So if he's coming in ready, hits the ground running, I don't see any reason why he can't see the field right away. Yeah, those are the two guys I mentioned, um, two guys I, I feel like are going to have every opportunity. What about uh, those receivers? Well, and, and that's that's the other thing. I, I mentioned Camonte Grimes, too. Um, out, of the, out of all the wide receivers – um, you know, I'm high on all of them. I like them all. But there's something about Grimes where, I mean, he's, he's 6'4", 200 pounds, and he's, he's a multi-sport athlete. He's, he's somebody that had some big-time offers, much like uh, Latrell Neville. But I, I think that if there's I, – I don't, I don't know. There's something about him where, where I, I think he's going to have an opportunity. I also think that Kobe Bretts could be somebody, you know, physically – uh, with with his athletic ability that could come in and and at the very least make a make an impact on special teams you know be be somebody that could really uh, be an impact player there all right final question you're in a foursome golf tournament you got to take one husker coach besides spangler the golf or not spangler um the the golf coach i blanked on his name is you can't have him as your guy but what husker coach on any mark of the, hankins mark hankins uh spangler was the last coach but who, who's your guy for me Hoiberg was yeah. fairly easy for easy me. Answer. Lives on fire, lives at Firethorn, plays a lot. I know his kids are great golfers. I mean, he he's a big guy, and Hankins was his roommate at Iowa State. I yeah, mean, he, I he, mean, he's a golf guy. Like if Fred Fred's good at a lot of things with sports, but golf is uh, behind basketball, probably his second love. And I don't know how legit this is, but in in the chat, someone chimed in that may know, may just be making it up, but said he's a, a six handicap. Well, you can look that up. There's a gin handicap website that any player is. You can yeah, look if you if you track it. If you if you put in your scores, you know it's if, listed. Yeah, if you're entering your scores after every round, it's listed. Because well, if you play in events, so you know if that's legit, that's. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. That's legit. <laughs> well, <laughs> Jay, Jay Moore, my colleague on Bigger to Wrap Up, former Husker player, I believe he's like a plus two or something. I mean, he, he's, you know. That's good. He's But he Jay, I mean, Jay, play, Jay Moore plays like, mm-hmm. you know, he trains. He's a big time golf guy. Yeah, I mean, he plays in everything. And I mean, that's the difference, I think, with some of those guys. I mean, if, if you put that time in. So beyond Hoiberg, who do you got? Barrett Rude. I, I think Barrett Rude grew pick. up playing a lot of golf. Um, I know. He's got a decent – I don't know what his handicap is, but I know he's a good player. So not to like to even care about the score, but if I'm picking another coach, I'm, I'm taking Doc. <laughs> just just for the, co- be the comedic value of it, then I would not have a more entertaining 18 holes. See, I, I'd like to play a round of golf with someone like John Cook. I think I think you could learn an awful lot. I know he's, he would have a hell of a lot of stories to tell. Um, you know, I think I think that's somebody that would be fun to play around with. Nate, tell that story about when Bill Callahan played. Do you remember the story when Bill Callahan played Sand Hills and like how he printed out all like the holes? <laughs> yeah, and and Sand Hills and Mullen, and he wanted to be prepared for it. So like him and Tim Cassidy like practiced and printed out like. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Bill Callahan is extremely, extremely competitive and wants to be the best at, at everything. Um, and he's a very smart guy too. Yeah, before they they got the opportunity to go play Sand Hills, he, he printed out the entire every every hole and and kind of mapped out. Okay, the club. This is the club I need to play here. This is where I need to hit it. Uh, you know, and. and and to try to prepare because he wasn't somebody, I mean, he was a grinder. He was working 16 hours a day, 17 hours a day. Um, and so he was not somebody who could get out to the golf course an awful lot, but to help himself prepare to play well there, he, he mentally played the course. I don't know how many times and, and <laughs> knew, knew what club he needed to use and where he needed to, to hit it. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I could have gone and played with him out there, but and I'm, I can't recall exactly how well he did, but yeah, that's that's, that's him in a nutshell. That's him though. in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. I heard a story about uh, Doc Sadler, Bo Pelini, and Larry the Cable Guy, and they they were golfing together. And Bo was a 
from all accounts, was a pretty hit and miss golfer, and his temper definitely got involved in this golf game. And <laughs> Zero surprise. He completely just was spraying it all over the course, and Larry the Cable Guy just goes, Bo, I thought you were supposed to be good. <laughs> and Bo didn't find the joke very funny. No, I was going to say, I'll bet you that went over real well. Bo also drove his first year back as the head coach. He took his putter and drove it into the green in the Knowles Par 3 member guest. And the next week, I mean, the story, I mean, that's like a huge member guest. There's a lot of people there. I mean, what are they? Everyone's going to talk about it, of, of course. course. And Osborne called the pro shop and like it started to investigate the deal. And oh boy. the club pro there was like, he's like, I just said nothing. I'm like, I'm not going to get in the middle of this deal with. What's Os- there to investigate? He lost his temper and, and yeah. <laughs> drove his putter in the green like a, like an ax. Like if you're surprised that Bo lost his temper, especially in a competitive setting, then yeah. <laughs> you probably didn't do your due diligence. There's, yeah, there's really not not a whole lot of investigation that needs to go into that. I tell you exactly what happened. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk recruiting. Uh, a couple of Omaha recruits uh, we hinted last week. We're going to pick their top fives. No Nebraska in the top five. We'll talk to Nate on where things are with in-state recruiting. Now you're listening here to the Husker Line Show. <laughs> This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. We'll talk some recruiting here, Nate. And, you know, we had an idea it was coming, but the dead period officially extended now till May 31st. And um, just a blow to so many people, um, you know, kids particularly that can't go on trips, coaches that can't go on the road. And I think everybody was hopeful that they'd meet in the middle and say kids can still come to campus, but coaches can't go on the road. And that was going to be kind of the happy, you know, compromise that, you know, quiet period. Yeah. These kids could go because they're going to what's going to happen. And it's already happening. Kids are going to go to these campuses and and go around and see things. But um, now they won't be able to go into coaching offices. They won't go to spring practices, spring games and we don't know what June's going to look like yet. There's no guarantee yet for June. Yeah, there's no guarantee for June that visits are going to happen. There's no guarantee that camps are going to happen. I mean, it's it's all up in the air right now. And so, um, you know, and it's hurting everyone. It's hurting the kids. And it's clearly hurting Nebraska, too, because, I mean, as we've always said, you know, anytime Nebraska gets a kid on campus, they're going to have a shot to, to land that kid. Um, you get a kid on campus more than once, and then your your chances of eventually signing him go up exponentially. Well, by the time the visits open back up, it could be it could be fifteen plus months that that uh, it's been a dead period, and so you're you're really messing with multiple cycles at that point in time um, when it comes to recruiting. You know, we'll get into in-state recruits here in a minute, but it's it's I think it's really hurting in-state wise because. You know, you think about all the missed opportunities you've had to be able to call a kid up in Omaha or and have them come down or Lincoln or whatever and have them come like down right it, now. They'd be down there anytime exactly. they want. It doesn't have to be for a game or a practice. I mean, they would usually they would call players up all the time for hey, a Tuesday visit. Yeah. Hey, come down. We're, we're going to you know sit in on meetings or or come watch come watch the you know winter conditioning or, or whatever. I mean, Hang out with the players. Couldn't they eat at the training table if they they paid to eat there? I mean, anything like that. There's so many missed opportunities. And and so, um, and for Nebraska, I mean, they rely on getting kids on campus so much, both in-state and and nationally. So, I mean, it's, it's... it's hard to fathom why you know the they extended this dead period when you've got Division two and you know all these lower lower division football programs that are that are able to go out and recruit. Um, you know, I know Steve Warren had a an unsigned showcase about two or th- three or four weeks ago now in in Omaha at uh, Iowa Western. There were forty coaches from different schools there watching these these players, all you know lower division school schools. Well, You've not heard about any of those schools having problems or, or these coaches 
contracting or, I mean, or spreading coaches coronavirus. Are far away. Yeah. So, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You're hurting the recruits. You're hurting college f- programs. I mean, it's it, none of it adds up to me. It's just a, another, I guess, add that to the list of things that just don't make sense or haven't made sense for the last year or so. Well, it's just that one-size-fits-all mentality the NCAA tries to incorporate. And as we know with COVID-19, there is no such thing as one-size-fits-all as there are so many viewpoints of this virus and how it should be handled with kids in school, kids not in school, um, just all these different topics um, around the country. And the NCAA is trying to figure out a way to satisfy everybody. Yeah. And it, it's impossible. And, and that, that's the hard part about this in aid. And yeah, the real casualty now, Nebraska in-state wise, Devin Jackson and Deshaun Woods, who this staff has not gotten any FaceTime in front of really since – the 2019 season, I think they both came to at least one game. Those those two yeah, kids they were, did. They were at a couple games. They were sophomores, and they got offers from Nebraska in the early portion of their sophomore years. But other than that, you know, no FaceTime, no opportunity to really build a, a relationship with in person, and and that that's that was killer. And it, it's opened the floodgates for outside teams to come in the state more than ever before, as as we're seeing in. Uh, Penn State just offered Deshaun Woods after his top five came out. LSU just offered yep. Devin Jackson. Um, and, you know, it will be interesting to see um, if Nebraska is even going to try to keep recruiting these guys or if they've just moved on at this point. Well, first of all, I think you have to keep recruiting these guys. Um, you know, even though, I mean, you look back at Avante Dickerson, even though it, he didn't end up at Nebraska in the end. There was there was a point in time where you know when he did open things back up and and there was a possibility to to get him. Uh, I think you have to respect their decision, obviously, but you also have to let them know that hey, look, you know, if anything changes, we're going to be here. We're going to you know, we're going to keep in touch. We're going to you know, um, you know, touch base with you periodically to see how how everything's going, whatever. But I think you still have to to maintain some sort of presence there, but. You're right. I mean, there's these neither one of these kids have had an opportunity to create any sort of personal relationship. Um, you know, have that FaceTime because there's only so much a virtual visit can do, or, or Zoom calls, or or even phone calls. I mean, it, it takes um, you know, I think in person contact to to really solidify a relationship. So, and since that's not happened, you know, there's nothing that makes Nebraska any different than any other school. In fact, you know, with with the recent results, I, I think it's kind of put Nebraska behind the eight ball with these guys. So, um, it's made it really difficult. And it's a tough pill to swallow if you're Nebraska and you're you're hoping to stack another top 20 or top 20 recruiting class when you lose two four stars that's your base right, right there right out of your right out of your backyard yeah I mean uh, in most years you'd look at the the in-state talent and, and see well shoot there's multiple four stars in the state this year that's that's gonna be a nice start to the recruiting class well not so fast because you got two of the top guys that aren't even considering you anymore and there's right now three on rivals but you can make the case there could be four with Caden Helms which yeah. I want to say Nate in the, in the history of rivals that will be the most there's never been no. more than three in a, in a year I think three's happened before and, and Caden Helms is right there in my opinion he is a four star uh, currently he's ranked as a 5.7 three star which is as high as you can get before you're a four star but yeah I, I mean in my opinion there's four there's at least four four stars in the state and that's uh, never happened before so it will be interesting uh to follow all this through as uh, Nebraska as everyone else, I mean, in the same boat, and you're going to have to get creative here with recruiting. Um, and we may not see a commit, guys, until um, at least June now. I mean, it's going to be very difficult for Nebraska, I think, to pull in any early commits um, without having anybody here on campus. But uh, lots to keep up with here. Robin will keep you up to date on basketball as well as anything recruiting-wise, and we're continuing our in-state tour here as well as um, Nate and I and Greg and the entire team spent a lot of time meeting with well over 30 programs here um, earlier in the month. And we'll be telling you about those each and every day here on HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.